do have something that I want to say. Uh, there's something I want to say. Uh, there's something that God's laid upon my heart. And I, I love the theme this year of mentorship. And the entire message tonight will be on that theme of mentorship. And it's something that's deep in my heart. And, he, and here's why. Uh, because, you know, I almost quit a thousand times. Like, I so, I so wish I had this when I was 25. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you know, I had no clue what I was doing. And I didn't have anybody speaking into my life. There was nobody I could call on the other end of the phone. I didn't know who my dad was. When I found out who he was, he was an atheist. I had no spiritual mentors in my life, and that's probably my fault. That's probably my fault. So the fact that there are some leaders in the Idea Day Network that see that need and are striving to meet it, it means the world to me. And I said to the group of guys at Josh's home a little while ago that a lot of my life has been spent learning. I love to learn. I love to read. I love the Bible. I really do. Uh, but a lot of my life has been spent unlearning. I, I'm, a, I'm a mediocre golfer. Whatever I do well in golf has been things I've had to unlearn because I, I played golf before anyone taught me how to play golf. And so that, there, I played a lot of golf and I, I, I would swing the club wrong. I did everything wrong. Uh, and then when I learned to play a little bit better, I couldn't just learn how to play. I had to learn how to not play. And then I had to learn to play. I had to learn to undo. And let's be humble enough uh, to learn sometimes in life some things that maybe we've done or we've learned that sometimes uh, upon further scrutiny from the word of God and further impulse from the Holy Spirit, we learn you know, that's something maybe that I, I need to back off of and be humble enough to admit it. You know, you're not the paragon of all knowledge. And you're not the, you're not the, you're not the, you're not the end all be all when it comes to your know, ministry success and understanding the formula. No, we're all just broken people that are learning along the way. And I'm going to tell you something, I'm 53 and but I'm just learning along the way and things I'm learning even today. So I want to share a couple of those things. I want you to have your Bible open. I want you to look at the passage of scripture. That's what's important to me is the Bible and that you seeing it. At the end of the day, what Kurt Skelly says is of minimal importance, but what the Bible says is of maximum importance. So look at 2 Timothy chapter number one, 2 Timothy chapter number one, and I want to read a couple of verses and, and talk to you on this subject tonight. Ready? Where have all the mentors gone? Where have all the mentors gone? Now, my goal tonight is twofold. Number one, I would love, I would love uh, in these two days for some young man in this room to, to see that there is hope and help. I would love that. I would love for somebody maybe just starting out or, or maybe starting out and wondering if he's going to finish out. I'd, I'd love for somebody to attach himself to, in some real way to a mentor. I'd love that. But, but, but let me just speak on behalf of those of us that might be a little bit older. Uh, those of us that have been in the ministry maybe a little bit longer. Not that we know more, but let me just say this. But I would hope that some of us 
would have a renewed burden to invest in. Some of us would have a renewed burden to be a mentor, uh, to be the things that, that God wants us to be. And there's a great template for both. There's a great template for both right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. So look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and look at verse 1, where the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 2. To Timothy. There's our relationship. Paul and Timothy. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Paul and Timothy. Do you know that Paul had relatively few people whom he mentored in his life? I mean, you can name them probably uh, on two hands that Paul mentored in his life. If I said Paul and, you might say Paul and Barnabas. But really, Barnabas was the mentor. Paul was the mentee for most of that relationship. But then you might say Paul and. You could say John Mark, because uh, John Mark did travel on that first missionary journey. You could say Paul and Silas. You could say Paul and Timothy. You could say Paul and Titus. You could say Paul and Tychicus. You could say Paul and Luke. You could say Paul and Demas. You could say Paul and Epaphras. You could say Paul and. But boy, the list would run out pretty quick, pretty quick. Uh, Paul and Aristarchus. Uh, There were others, but relatively few. And so here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, last letter, Paul's writing, Paul and Timothy. So to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers a night and day, greatly desiring to see thee. Be mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned, not, not faked, without hypocrisy, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother, Lois, and, and thy mother, Eunice, I'm persuaded, in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance, that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of power, but a, a, a rather of a spirit of fear, rather, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And Father, I do pray that that would be our goal tonight, each one of us, that we would not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. I pray that you would help us tonight to have a renewed sense of who we are in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would. Speak on the inside tonight as I speak on the outside. And I pray that you would do a work in our hearts tonight that only you can do. Lord, we need you. You are holy. You are transcendent. You are our God. But we need you desperately. And Lord, tonight I pray that you would do a work in our lives in this opening session of Idea Day 2020 that would forever change us. And Lord, I pray that you would mold us tonight even more into the image of Jesus Christ, your goal, your purpose for our life. Please bless this message, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Never has Bible-believing Christianity needed mentoring more than she needs it today. In an age where mega churches abound, Within a stone's throw of this church are are megachurches in your area of the country. In a city nearby you are megachurches. And by the way, I'm thankful. 
I'm thankful for every gospel-preaching church in America and abroad. I'm grateful for it. But I'm afraid that there seems to be a disconnect because with the growth of churches, it seems as if sometimes we become a mile wide and an inch deep when it comes to relationships. And I know that's one of the reasons why you're here, is because we don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We want to be people that are authentically building relationships with others for the long term so that we're not crumbling as quickly as we're growing. And we're seeing a little bit of that across America. And so let's talk tonight about what is a mentor. I mean, biblically. You're going to hear a lot about it in tomorrow's sessions. I noticed looking through the, uh, the, the sessions tomorrow, there are a number of sessions that deal with mentorship, building a mentorship team, surrounding oneself with a cabinet of mentors, and uh, developing a mentorship program, and investing in coaching. And that's so wise. That's, and I, I commend everybody who's going to speak on the topic of mentorship this weekend. But I wanted to get us going just by talking about what does the Bible say about this, this, uh, uh, this, this organic mentorship relationship. Now, not advice. Now, I think sometimes we use the, the word mentor in different ways. And so I'm going to give a, a little bit of leeway here. But when I'm talking about mentorship, I'm not talking about somebody I call and get advice from. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm for advice. Even this morning, walking in the airport, I got a phone call from a, a pastor in Ohio. Hey, Pastor Skelly, could you, could you give me some advice? I'd be happy to. Let's talk. We talked for uh, 20, 25 minutes. It was a wonderful conversation. That's advice. I think we should all be ready to give advice. I think we should always be on the other end of the line or the other end of the email or the text message. That's wonderful. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about advice. I'm not even talking about uh, periodic coaching, although that's very important. And I am 100% behind what these men are doing in the Idea Day network. I think it's absolutely vital that we do that. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm not talking about coaching. I'm not talking about uh, appointments. I'm not talking about phone calls. I'm not talking about advice. I'm talking about the, the organic level of real mentorship that can only take place with a few people in your life but it must take place. It can only take place with a few people in your life, but it must take place. And certainly, your children ought to be at the very top of the list of the people whom you will mentor in the ways that I'm going to describe biblically tonight. And so what is a mentor? You want to be a mentor? What is a biblical mentor? I want to give you five qualities, five statements about what I see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, about what I believe is a biblical mentor, somebody I aspire to be, somebody whom I hope Nathaniel can see in me. He's my oldest son. He's married with three children. I would hope that he would look to me the way that I'm going to describe today a mentor ought to be to a few people in your life. I would hope that I'm this for Joshua, a student pastor in Kansas working with Mark Doss doing a wonderful job. I would hope you would view me this way. I hope Caleb and Hannah would see me this way. I hope that my daughters-in-law would view me this way. I hope. I don't know. I hope they would. I hope that there are a few select people in my life over the years that would say, Kurt, you have been that person for me. I would hope that would be the case. But one thing I do know for sure is that the Bible defines what a true mentor is right here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let's look at it. 
Look at verse 1 again, if you would, in our text, where the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. Interesting. The apostle Paul's on his deathbed. Interesting. The apostle Paul does not know how long he has. As a matter of fact, uh, he thinks his death is imminent. Uh, Timothy, come quickly. Hey, get here certainly before winter. But uh, the time of my departure is at hand. Uh, I fought my fight. I've run my course. I've, 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 I've run the race. I've finished my course. Hey, listen, I know I'm about to die. I know that. I know that I'm done. Okay, so there's an imminency to this letter. And Timothy, I've got the pen out. I've got the scroll out. I'm writing the letter. And I want you to know something, Timothy. I'm still doing what God called me to do. I'm an apostle. Think about it. It's a personal letter. The apostle Paul is introducing himself, for all intents and purposes, in a, in a formal way. But I think what the apostle Paul is saying to a, a flagging Timothy a Timothy that's tempted to walk away. A Timothy that's tempted to, to even disesteem the testimony of the Lord and be ashamed of the Apostle Paul. I mean, after all, the Apostle Paul now is the poster child for the ills of the Roman government. Uh, Nero has taken Christianity and has said it's Christianity's fault that we're having economic problems. And, and uh, now Paul is the poster child for Christianity. Timothy might be tempted to, to step away from, to be ashamed of. Timothy, don't do that. Timothy, I'm still doing what God called me to do. I'm still operating within the scope of my calling. Timothy, hey, I know who I am. Listen, if you want to be a mentor of other people, I'm going to say number one tonight, you better know who you are are. Can I just say this? It took me years in ministry to find out who I was. For the first few years, I, were, I was people that were my teachers at my college. I was this guy preaching. I was that guy teaching. I was this guy leading. I wasn't Kurt Skelly. I borrowed this guy's belief and that guy's style and this guy's philosophy and that guy, I wasn't Kurt Skelly. You know, it took me years to detox and decompress. Years of being on the backside of that desert where insignificance and failure could teach me things I never learned at Bible college. And you might be there right now, spinning your wheels on the hamster wheel of your life, on that treadmill, working hard, sweating up, going nowhere. But don't disesteem this time in your life because these are times when God can teach you things that you never learned at Bible college and never learned in that book that you read, never learned from the group of people that you hung around with. These are times that God's teaching you sometimes through failure and sometimes through insignificance the things that you need to know. You better find out who you are. If you're going to find out who you are, you better find out who your God is because the only way you'll get your identity is to find out who he is. Isaiah learned that, didn't he? And when I saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filled it. When I saw God for who he was, finally, I saw myself for who I was. And when I saw myself for who I was, finally, God could use me in a way that he never used me before. I had to find out who God was before I found out who I was. And when I found out who I was, I found out what God had for me. I wonder, had you gone through that process? Paul did. Paul understood exactly who he was. Matter of fact, that's why his testimony echoed in his preaching and teaching all through those years. 
It seems like whenever the Apostle Paul had an opportunity to speak in a public way or to a a public setting or to a a high-ranking official, it seemed like the Apostle Paul couldn't improve upon a little story about a little trip that he took years before heading from Jerusalem to Damascus. And let me just tell you what happened to me on that road to Damascus when this man, this God man, uh, this deity named Jesus Christ met me there and changed my life. Listen, he never lost sight of the fact of who he was in Jesus Christ. I'm afraid sometimes in ministry, we lose sight of the simplest things. Like Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible, tell the B-I-B-L-E. Uh, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone. I said, sometimes we, we just, because we're, we're looking for the next idea, the next formula, or the next, uh, uh, or the next process. Listen, it's about who I am in Jesus Christ. And Paul understood that, never missed that. He understood what his calling was from day one. He fully trusted in the sovereignty of God to use his life for the furtherance of of kingdom gospel work, and therefore it didn't make a difference. Hey, uh, the Spirit didn't let me go into Mycenae. I couldn't go into Phrygia. Hey, I was waiting there in Troas. God led me to Philippi. Made no He wasn't looking for results. He was looking for God's will. God, send me. God, here I am. And even languishing in a prison at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul said, hey, God, God's good, and his plan is on the way. And Timothy, you can trust him. Why? Because Paul knew who he was. And I love to get around people who know who they are in Christ. They're not worried about what this guy thinks or what that guy thinks. They're not worried about what's what said. Hey, listen, I have a confidence in who I am and what my ministry is because I know who God is. You'll never be a mentor of other people truly until you know who your God is and therefore know who you are. The opposite is true as well. Because when you don't know who you are, your influence doesn't cease. When you don't know who you are, your influence doesn't, you still have influence. But instead of influencing people to know the God whom you know, you influence people to have the insecurities that you have. So you better get to know God as a mentor because when you don't get to know God as a mentor, then the insecure you that doesn't know God uh, foists his insecurities upon his followers. And a great example of that is Peter. And there's old Peter who ought to have known what he believed. And there's old Peter who was told by God in a vision, hey, the Gentile world, they're going to receive the gospel too. And you can go ahead and eat with them. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, I God won the argument. Peter went up to Cornelius' house, and there Cornelius heard the gospel, got saved, and the evidence was the Holy, the speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit was given. And remember, Peter went back to Jerusalem. Remember what they said? What were you doing? Eating with the Gentiles. And Peter said, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, let me just tell you what happened. Let me tell you what God said. Let me tell you how God led. Let me tell you what, how God gave the Holy Spirit. And they said, oh, okay, well, if God did that, then we can't argue. So who knew that God was putting together a Jew and Gentile body? Peter knew. Peter knew it. And yet the Bible teaches that when Peter went to visit Paul up in Antioch before the Jerusalem council, when he went up to Antioch to visit the apostle Paul, hey, Peter was having a good old time. He was having eggs and bacon. He was having a ham sandwich with that you know, fancy German mustard. I mean, he was having a good old time. But then a group came from Jerusalem to visit They came from James. They had never seen Peter eat that. They had never seen Peter around them. 
sing that way, wear that. And so what does Peter do? Peter has these old buddies who know him from his past life and his past worship experience, and they come up, and all of a sudden Peter's like, oh, James is going to hear about this, and man, I am going to be dead meat back in Jerusalem. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to withdraw and separate myself. You know, sometimes, and I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush here, sometimes separation is not spirituality. Sometimes separation is just a matter of insecurity. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing. The Bible tells us his motive. Fearing them, which are of the circumcision. And here's the bad part, and the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. So a leader who is insecure tried to mask his insecurity and making a big, bold decision. Well, I'll tell you, bless God, I'm out of here. And what did that insecurity do? That insecurity uh, caused other people to be insecure. And they said, well, whoa, we didn't think anything was wrong with this food. But if Peter thinks it's wrong, I guess it's wrong. And, they went, and Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. He also bought into the hypocrisy. The apostle Paul's over there scratching his head and saying, what just happened? I mean, it was probably the agape meal that preceded the, the Eucharist, oh, the, 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 the Lord's Supper, and now this great feast of unity has turned into disunity because the Jews are over here eating their little kosher diet. I'm over here with the Gentiles still having my ham sandwich. Paul's in the middle saying, what happened? And Paul said to Peter before, hey, Peter, I was stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For, the, for before that certain came from James, he didn't eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them, which are of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, and so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that you walked out brightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said and appeared before them all. If thou, being a Jew, livest as a man of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compelst thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Stop it, Peter. This is more than just a preference. What you're doing is you're actually dismantling and corrupting the very gospel message itself. Because now you're saying that sanctification is a rules-based, work-based way to please God. You're wrong, and you're doing despite to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What am I saying? I'm just saying you better know who God is. You better know what that gospel is before you dare lead other people. Because sometimes you lead other people to places that they shouldn't be led and give them insecurities that they shouldn't have all because you have influence without knowledge. And influence without a knowledge of God is reckless. So you better be careful with what God has given you. Know who you are. Number two. Not only did the mentor know who he was in 2 Timothy chapter 1, but I would say, number two, he committed to a very few. In mentorship, if you're going to be a mentor, know who you are. If you're going to be a mentor, commit to a select few. Oh, Pastor Skelly, what are you talking about, Kurt? What are you talking about? What are you talking about, commit to a few? I mean, aren't we supposed to reach the multitudes? I mean, I thought there's untold millions still untold, are still outside the fold. Aren't we supposed to reach them? Yes. And the best way to reach the multitude is reach a few. Amen. That's not my word. That's God's word. That's right. And so what did Paul do? Paul prayerfully considered those whom he would mentor. Go back to Acts chapter 16. Don't turn there now. 
But in Acts chapter 16, here's the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. There he is in Lystra, the very city where he was stoned and left for dead and came back in town. There was a young teenager there that saw all that. And, and uh, wow, what kind of powers upon this man's life? And what kind of testimony must he have? And him, the Bible says, would Paul take with him? And the Bible says they laid their hands on this young man, oh, a timid fellow named Timothy. And uh, Paul took Timothy, he and Silas, as their mentee to travel uh, westward as the gospel was being spread. And Timothy became the mentee of the apostle Paul. He chose him. He chose him. Can I just say this to some of you spiritually mature older brethren? People shouldn't have to be knocking down our door to get us to influence them. The mentor ought to be the one that's proactive. The mentor ought to be the proactive one. It shouldn't be people always calling me, always calling me, always calling me. Who am I calling? Who am I investing in? Where's the proactivity? And so the apostle Paul, boy, he was proactive. Hey, you want a better example than Paul? I'll give you one. Jesus. One of the best verses in all the Bible, in my opinion, is Mark chapter 3 and verse 14. It's one of the, one of the accounts of Jesus calling the twelve. Now, you know this. You know that when Jesus began his public ministry, you know that Jesus didn't just automatically call 12 people, like randomly, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. you follow me, you're going to go, you're going to come with me. That's not the way it worked. Matter of fact, even when Jesus called Peter, Andrew, James, and John by the seaside, uh, there by Capernaum in Galilee, that was after they had known him for months, and they had even voluntarily followed him. Remember, uh, Andrew and Peter and James and John and Philip and Nathaniel, they, they had followed him after John the Baptist's ministry. They had spent months with him in Judea. They were there at the woman at the well, but then they had gone back to their nets. Now, he's calling them formally. And after a night of all-night prayer, Jesus chose, you read it yourself. You read it yourself. After a night of all-night prayer, Jesus chose from among many, from among many, from among many, he chose 12, and here's my favorite part. He chose 12 to be with him. You know what mentorship is? Mentorship is with with. Okay, advice, that's an appointment. That's a scheduled phone call. That's a if I have time. That's I'll see you at 2.45. Mentorship, that's the guy I hang out with after work. That's mentorship. A mentorship is living life with people. There's only a very select few. You better prayerfully consider those whom God would have you to mentor. Who are the people whom God would have you to mentor? Jesus uh, spent 30 years preparing, not talking to anybody. After 30 years of, uh, of relative insignificance, Jesus came on the scene with a burst. And for three years, he had a public ministry. But that public ministry was all about the message of the gospel and the completion of the gospel work at the cross. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. It wasn't about the miracle. The miracle just validated the message. It wasn't about the crowd. Jesus was always trying to get away from the crowd. Oh, he accommodated them. He met their needs here and there. But boy, he was trying to get away. Invest, invest, invest. Invest, investing in the 12. I wonder, are we, is our ministry patterned that way? If I had to say to you pastors right now, who, who are the two, three, four, five, who are those people in your life? The investment people. It doesn't make them any more important than other people, but it's the way that God works. It's the way that Jesus works. Hey, it's the principle of multiplication. We all know it. 
It's the philosophical buy-in that each one of us needs to have when it comes to mentorship. It's a logical, philosophical buy-in that multiplication is better than addition. It's, it's influence's way of compounding interest. If I took $100 today and said, okay, add $100 every seven years, just add $100 to your next nest egg, and at the end of your life, uh, every seven years, uh, put $100, and, uh, and, and then, then that's your retirement. You say, that's not much of a retirement. How about this? Take $100 and invest it. And let that compound interest double that money every seven years. And then retire. Oh, I'm doing much better. You know what what mentorship is? Mentorship is influences compound interest. And say, you know, in the moment, it might not look like I'm reaching tons of people, but I'm reaching him and him and her and her, and I'm investing. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus did. And in one generation, the entire world heard the the gospel. In one generation. Here's a, a leader that's dying naked on a cross. And only one of the 11, one's dead already, one of the 11 is even there to watch it. And yet in one generation, those 11, God used by the power of his Holy Spirit to change an entire world. Why? Because mentorship works. So there's a philosophical buy-in. It's logical. Hey, it's Christ-like. It's what Jesus did. It's biblical. It's what Paul recommended in this very book. That, uh, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach other also. It's Paul and Timothy and the people that Timothy reaches who are going to reach other people. It's four generations. It's, a, it's cover, that By the way, that's what God says about my influence. A, a normal lifetime, you'll see your children, you'll see your grandchildren, and you'll probably see your great-grandchildren if you, if you live a long lifetime. Right now, I've got grandchildren. My oldest grandchild will be five years old this year. If he gets married at, when I got married at age 21 or 22 and has children at age 25 in 20 years, I'll be 73. Maybe I'll see my first great-grandchild. That's why the Bible says that your influence extends to the third and fourth generation. It's a lifetime. That's mentorship. That's mentorship. That's, men- That's how you make a difference in your generation. By mentoring. It's biblical. It's Christ-like. It's logical. It's the buy-in that we all need. And yet we're so enamored of the crowd. But I, w- I want to linger with the feeding of the 5,000. They want to make me a king. Why would I leave now? Paul, uh, Jesus said, no, no, no. Get away. It's not time yet. I need to invest in those 12. They're out there on the storm in the sea. I need to invest in them. That very next day, he preached at Capernaum. The crowd came back. Jesus preached again. They didn't want to hear what he said. He invested in the 12. Who are you investing in? That's mentorship. It's about you pouring your life into a select few. It's not to say you don't preach your messages. It's not to say you don't have programs and you want to have a spirit and a climate of mentorship in your church where people are getting this from different people. But I'm just saying you individually, you're one person. You're one person. You can't spread yourself out over a hundred or a thousand people. Decide today prayerfully, whom would God have me to mentor? Know who you are. Uh, Know, uh, select select a few. How did I say it? Know who you are. Commit to a few. Number three, hold nothing back. Know who you are. Commit to a few. Watch this, guys. Hold nothing back. Make a com- you know, Jesus made a commitment. He made a commitment to those 12. He held nothing back. Day after day, after week, after week, after month, after month, they saw him. They saw him in deprivation. They saw him in crowds. They saw him being persecuted. They saw him being praised. They saw all of it. They did it together. They, loved, they lived life together. 
He taught them every step of the way. As they walked, it's been my privilege to go to Israel on many occasions. One such occasion, I took uh, 11 people with me uh, on a special uh, trip before the main trip, and we hiked. We hiked from Nazareth to Capernaum, three-day hike. It was awesome. We'd get our backpacks on, and we'd hike. You know what happened as we hiked? For a while, Dennis, I'd walk with this guy, and we'd talk for a while. After a while, uh, I'd be with this group and that group, and I could hear them talking back there, and I thought, that's what Jesus did. Jesus spent all day, every day with, with his 12, talking, walking. You know what our problem is? We don't walk anymore. We don't walk with anybody. We don't walk with God. We don't walk with people. And then we wonder why our ministries are a mile wide and an inch deep. Because we don't walk with anybody anymore. We don't do life. It's all screen time. It's all planning and promotion. And the people, that's, that's way down the list. Where, where is the mentorship? Where is the commitment to people anymore? The Apostle Paul, he knew who he was. The Apostle Paul, he committed to a few. In this case, Timothy. And in committing to those few, he held nothing back. You know why? It was all about a relationship. I'd take a bullet for my kids. If one of my kids called me right now, said, Dad, I need you. Sermon's over. I'm at the airport. I'm heading home. What do you need? Listen, that's the relationship a mentor has. I hold nothing back. Matter of fact, that's the very language that the Apostle Paul used in Acts chapter 20. Hey, you know I was with you. These three, he's talking to the elders. Hey, you know how I was with you. I held nothing back. I held nothing back. That's why the first verses of 2 Timothy, they're all relational verses. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Think about that. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. That's the I love you part of mentorship. Timothy, you're my dearly beloved son. He's about to rebuke him. Read down to verse 7 and verse 8. He's about to rebuke him. But before he gets, Timothy, I love you. Timothy, I love you. That's the I love you part of mentorship. Look at the very next verse. Uh, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace. This isn't just some kind of a perfunctory introduction. These are rich, deep theological words and things that only God can give. Only God can give grace, and only God can give mercy, and only God can bestow peace. In other words, Paul was saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to get in your life only the things that God can give you, but I wish you the very best of what God can give you. That's the uh, I want the best for you part of mentorship. Let me ask you a question. Do you have people in your life that you say, I love you, and I want the best for you? I think too often in ministry, it's, you know, I, I really like you, and I want the best for me. And boy, if you would tithe, that would be better for our church. And if you'd work, that'd be better for our church. And if you'd be here, that'd be better for our church. And if you'd join the choir, that'd be better for our church. I'll tell you what, if you'll just do that, it'd be better for me. That's not the heart of a mentor. The heart of a mentor is relational. I hold nothing back. It's not about, it's not about what, what you can do for me. It's about what I can do for you. I love you, and, and I want the best for you. I wrote this down. My greatest desire is for you to be all that that only God can do in you and for you. My greatest desire is for you to be all that only God can do in you and for you. There's simply no ulterior motive. I love you and want God's best for you is not manipulative flirting. It's the truth. 
I'm not flattering you for, for, for some man-centered ministry purpose. No, I love you. I want the best for you. And I'm serious about it. Look, look at verse three. I love you. I want the best for you. And I'm serious about it. Look at verse three. I, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Hey, Timothy, I love you. And Timothy, I want the best for you. And Timothy, I pray for you. Every time I pray, I pray for you. Every morning, every night. Now, I don't pray for everybody at Faith Baptist Church. There's people I still even don't even know their names. It's a big church. I try and I work at it. And I think I, I, I do well, but I'm telling you, I'm not there. But I'm going to tell you, there are certain people every day of my life, I call their name out to God. Why? Because I love them and I want the best for them. And I know that the, I'm insufficient to give them the best. I know I'm insufficient to get down to their heart uh, where the real decisions are made. And oh God, would you work in their life? And oh God, would you bless my family today? And oh God, would you bless my wife and my kids and my grandkids? Oh God. And I call them my name. And certain select others. Who, who's in your prayer every day? Are you serious about it? Are you serious about people's lives being affected? I wonder if we could just take our hands off sometimes all of our manipulation and all of our goals we have for people and all the ways we kind of guilt and, and all the ways we manipulate and just take your hands off and say, God, I want to see you do what only you can do. Do we even believe in prayer anymore? Years ago, I was pastoring our church in Connecticut, Foundation Baptist Church, a little small church started just a handful of people really on Sunday nights. I remember one week, uh, a man called me, a Filipino uh, church planner called me. He was in the States raising money for his church plant in the Philippines. His name was Brother Vic. He was an excitable kind of guy. I never forget him. Brother Kurt, this is Brother Vic. I'm in your area. Can I come stop at your church? Present my ministry. So, well, Brother Vic, we're, we're a little startup church, and we probably can't support you. Oh, that's good. I want to be there. I'll be there. So he comes on Sunday night to our church. The guy was like a gospel dynamo. Like we had like eight people in church, but he didn't care. It was like he's preaching at the Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Up and down, gospel this, Jesus that. I mean, we were just excited. Brother Vic, Brother Vic. We took an offering for him, sent him on his way, and I thought that's the last time I'll ever hear of Brother Vic. Years later, years later, I was sitting in my office in Pennsylvania, now at an established church. Now I'm a, I'm a big-time pastor now. I got an office. I have a phone. <laughs> the phone, back in those days, they actually had, they had these, um, they called them wires. <laughs> and actually connected to the wall. It was like a leash. You could only walk so far with the phone. It's just amazing. And I got, the, I, I got the phone call one day. The secretary uh, said, Pastor, you've got a phone call. I said, okay. I said, who is it? She said, it's a, and she said the name. It was a longer Filipino name. It was Brother Vic, but I didn't recognize the name. So I said, okay. So I, said, you know, I put my pastor voice on. This is Brother Skelly. <laughs> Hello, Brother Skelly. This is Brother Vic. <laughs> Brother Vic. Now, good to hear your voice, you know. <laughs> How 
are you doing? I'm doing fine, Brother Vic. How is your wife, Wanda? Oh, Wanda's doing well. Oh, wonderful. How is Nathaniel? Nathaniel's doing great, Brother Vic. How about Joshua? How is Joshua doing? I said, Joshua's growing like a weed. He's doing well. How about Caleb? How is Caleb doing? Brother Vic, you have an amazing memory. Oh, no. Oh, no, Brother Skelly, I don't have a good memory. I, I pray for your family every day. That was like 24 years ago. And I'm still talking about Brother Vic. One Filipino national guy I've never seen again who prays for me every day. And we wonder, and we wonder, and we wonder while we have fragile mentorship relationships. Are you serious about it? I love you. I want the best for you. Hey, I'm serious. Serious enough to call your name before a holy God day by day that God could do in your life what I could never do. Hey, I love you. And I'm serious about it. And I want God's best for you. Look at verse 4. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. I love you, and I want the best for you, and I'm serious. I want to be with you. I enjoy spending time with you. I fight for that time. Uh, Timothy, it's been too long. Please come before winter. I greatly desire to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Timothy, there's just something special about when we get together. Uh, I mean, there's people in my life that, that ought to have that feeling, that they ought to know, but I, I fight for time with you. And then verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith, I love that, which is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice, I'm persuaded, and thee also. Hey, listen, I want to be with you, and uh, here's what I like about you. Here's what I like about you. You're real. Uh, here's what I like about you, Timothy. You're real. But I tell you what, I can't wait to get around you again, because when I'm around you, the one thing I see in you that so enraptures me, the one thing that I see in you that so uh, captures me, Timothy, is the fact that you're not a fake. You are real. You're true blue. And uh, you've got some issues. I'm going to deal with them. And you've got some areas I'm going to help mentor you. But Timothy, one thing I love about you is you're real. You know what your mentee needs to hear? He needs to hear you praise the good that you can in his life. We always set that. I felt like when I was in Bible college, I was never good enough. Well, maybe if I win another soul, or maybe if I don't get another demerit, that was a tough one. Maybe if I, I always felt like, man, I was never good enough. I was never, I was never and, and if I were good enough, then someone was always better. I always felt, I can't measure up, I can't measure up. But if I had a mentor to speak in my life and say, boy, let me tell you something, boy, I so appreciate you're real, and you've got this unfeigned faith, and praise the good that you can. All I'm saying is this, that when you have a mentorship relationship, hold nothing back. You live life together. Don't be afraid. We're so afraid to be transparent with people. We're so afraid to live close to people. What if they see that, that I'm not perfect? They already know. What if they see that uh, sometimes I yell at my wife? Or what if they see sometimes that, man, I didn't have my devotions? Or what if they see sometimes that, man, I, I, I said something I shouldn't say, that guy that cut me off in traffic? What? That's part of mentorship. It's just being relational and real. Know who you are. Hey, know who you are. Uh, carefully select a few. 
Uh, one, two, three, four, certainly not more than 12. Hold nothing back. Let me say this, number four, we're almost done. Mentorship, open your mouth. Open your mouth. What I mean by that is in mentorship relationships, when a, when a relationship has been established, somebody has to say the hard things to people. And the problem, and can I say it this way? The problem in our movement, I hate to say that, but can it be to say for lack of a better term, is the people that open their mouth are the wrong people. Because the person that ought to open their mouth to me is the person that loves me. Because that's the information I'll hear. But what we have is we have adversarial relationships where people say passive aggressive things. Sometimes they're even true. But you know what? I'm not listening to your passive aggressive sarcasm innuendo about me or about my friends. But you know what I am listening to? I'm listening to a friend who comes and says, hey, Robbie, listen, I love you, bro. But here's something I'm seeing. Can we talk about this? You know what? I'm all ears. You know what this letter is? This letter is from a mentor who says, Timothy, I love you. And this is a letter that's being received by a mentee that says, I know he loves me. And Paul's about to say, Timothy, stop it. Stop it. You're, you're showing that you're ashamed of the Lord and of me. Stop it, Timothy. And a million people could have said that to Timothy, but only one person could say it and have it mean something. And that was Paul. So as a mentor, learn to open your mouth. Paul said to the Corinthians, oh, you Corinthians, our mouth is opened unto you. Our heart is enlarged. Hey, listen, we're saying to you the hard things. Second Corinthians 6, some really hard things. We're saying some hard things, but the reason we're saying some hard things is because we love you, and you know that we love you, and our heart is huge for you, and you've got a million instructors, but you don't have many fathers. We love you, and we're going to say to you, the hard things. And so what did Paul do? Paul spoke into his life. A mentorship gives you the right to be heard. That's the, that's the bottom line. Mentorship gives you, I mean, true relational mentorship. I, I suppose, Josh, you could call up Josh and say, hey, you, know this, you blew it. You blew it here. I suppose, why? Because I know they're friends. I know there's a, there's a real relationship. When there's a real relationship, there's real communication. The Apostle Paul, he dealt with Timothy about his ministry-shaping influencers, Lois and Eunice. He dealt with Timothy about his ministry-shaping experiences. Hey, Timothy, remember, we laid our hands on you. Get back to that place. Get back to the young Timothy that was on fire for God, had a heart full of love for God. Hey, Timothy, come on. No one else could have said that except somebody that lived life with him. I was there when you were called. I was there when we laid hands on you. I was there when you were filled with God's Holy Spirit. I was there. I saw it. Timothy, get back to where you were. Timothy, come on. Ministry shaping influencers, ministry shaping experiences, ministry crippling weaknesses. Timothy, stop it. We've been down this road before. I already told you, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in all these areas. Timothy, we've dealt with this time. Take heed unto thyself, unto the ministry. Continuing them. Timothy, I've already talked to all these things. Now, Timothy, you're falling back into your besetting sin. Stop it. Stop it. God didn't give you that spirit of fear. God gave you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, Timothy, act like who you are, not like how you feel, not like who you were. Timothy, you're a cold child of God. Act like it. Amen. Only a mentor could say that. 
Only him. Only that can't be the revival service evangelist that blows in and blows out. That's got to be the mentor that sits down with a tear in his eye and says, "Come on, Timothy, who's that person in your life? Open your mouth." And then, lastly, tonight you've listened well. I've gone too long. Lastly, are you seeing what mentorship is? Are we sensing it tonight? That's that's why when the Apostle Paul said, "Demas has forsaken me." Mentorship's personal. Man, I invested in this guy. Man, Demas, he got saved and he was working hard for God. He was there with us in the first Roman imprisonment. There, there was Aristarchus and, and er, er, uh, Epaphras and, and, and Mark and, and the rest of them and, and Demas. And Demas has forsaken. He didn't quit church. He didn't quit the ministry. He didn't leave Bible college. He forsook me. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. See, when you invest in people, it's personal. Paul took it personally. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, hey, write them a thank you note. Uh, they, 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 uh, they laid down their, 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 their neck for me. Every church of the Gentiles ought to thank them. The last people he ever greeted, the family of Onesiphorus, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, why? These were people he loved and mentored. It was real to him. This isn't just ministry, not just a paycheck, not perfunctory, get up, I'll go to church, preach my message. This was people whom I love. And that's what it's all about. And then lastly, open your mouth, number four, number five, get out of the way. Get out of the way. You know what mentorship? Mentorship is a seasonal relationship you have with people. And then you're taken out of the way. So here's a a man shivering, emaciated, beaten, full of the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ in a hole in the ground that we call the Mamertine prison. Days later, he's going to be ushered out to a crude chopping block. Some unknown Roman soldier is going to take a sword and slice his head off. The great apostle. His one chance to communicate to somebody. Timothy. Timothy. Hey, don't be afraid. God has a purpose for your life. You're going to stand before him one day. Preach his word. Come on, Timothy. Who's that person? You found out tonight you had terminal cancer. You got one week to live. Who are you pouring into? Who are you writing the last letter to? Who's the phone call? So we were all shocked yesterday when Kobe Bryant died. Did that shock you? It shocked me. I wasn't a Lakers fan. I wasn't a Kobe Bryant fan. But if something happened in my heart, I thought, man... This guy was taking his daughter to a basketball game. What did he say when they were going down? What did they think as that helicopter was seconds from exploding on the ground? It's too late then. I wonder, who are you investing Oh, God, I pray that you'd help us tonight to to get the heart of mentorship, 
God, tonight I pray that you would infuse in us a holy passion to introduce people to you in a way perhaps that they could not know you otherwise. Thank you, Lord, for those that have made the investments. We know ultimately that you are the mentor and your love is the constraining motivation. But Father, I pray that you would use us people to help people. And Lord, tonight, I pray even out of this two-day meeting that there would be people that aren't even in this room tonight that might be in a bed, that might be at a workplace, that will be prayed for tonight by people in this room, that will be loved and nurtured by people in this room. And oh God, I pray that you'd help us to make a multiplied, exponential difference in our nation, in our world, because we grab a hold of this principle of mentorship. Can we keep our heads bowed for just a moment tonight? I don't know what the schedule is, but I feel like it might be good for us just to take a moment to pray. I think that'd be good. So why don't we do that? Why don't you just take a moment there at your seat. If you want to kneel, that's fine. Doesn't make a difference. Here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to take a moment right now and ask God to bless and help someone other than me. Maybe your prayer ought to be, God, who is that person? And can we just intercede right now for people not in this room under our tutelage, under our mentorship, that God would do a work of grace. Paul's praying for Timothy's. How about it tonight? Can we take a moment? Kids are growing up fast. Pray for them. A teenage boy needs you. God, would you help us tonight? God, would you help us to embrace mentorship in a biblical way? God, tonight, would you burden our heart for somebody in arm's length of our life? Oh, God, would you give us the mind of Jesus Christ and looking not on our own things, but on the things of others? Oh, Father, would you help us to invest in a life insofar that by your grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ would have fertile ground. The kingdom of God would be built. Many lives would be saved. Oh God, tonight, may we get it. Bless each one of my friends tonight in a special way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.